Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. All right, Mr. Lombardi, everybody wants to be in the Hall of Fame, including Donovan McNabb. And I got to tell you, listen, a lifelong fan of McNabb, especially in his prime. Listen, second season, he was run out for MVP, four NFC Championship games. I know he took a lot of heat because he had the dry heaves in the Super Bowl. But listen, without his talent and his prowess and his ability to manipulate the pocket, they wouldn't have got there in the first place, even though Terrell Owens may beg to differ. But McNabb now is showing a different side of himself, getting a little salty but the fact he's not in the Hall of Fame. And he's saying, if you look at his numbers, he should be in the Hall. His argument argument is that Troy Aikman's in the hall, but he had better players, and he won all those rings. What say you about McNabb's candidacy and about him speaking out that he should be a Hall of Famer? You know, you know, I have been as critical as anybody on Donovan McNabb, right? I mean, like his stupid comments about Carson Wentz and all that. But this time, I think he's right. I do think nice. he's right. And I think he's right because he's won. I mean, when you go back and look at the numbers – just take Warren Moon, who I think Warren Moon deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I'm not saying that, but Warren Moon went to one conference championship game in his whole career. I mean, when you go back and look at what this McNabb – McNabb's got – he's 9-7 and seven in the playoffs. Moon was 10-10. and 10. McNabb's got – in his 13-year career, McNabb has four less wins than what Warren Moon has in his 17-year career. I think the guy deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I think, you know, I think he catches a lot of crap because they couldn't get over the hump, whether that was Andy Reid, whether it was Phil. But in Philadelphia, that hump is really what keeps him out of the Hall of Fame. But if he was in another city, if he was in Buffalo, sure they'd say he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I think oftentimes, just like with Dan Marino, there's too much criticism given, Mike, to a guy who can't win the big one. And in McNabb's case, that they overachieved many a time, and he was able to overcome, at times, a suspect running game, a poor wide receiving crop, because of the fact he was able to do so much with his legs and buy time. In terms of the numbers to which you mentioned, completion percentage is always a bit down. People would criticize McNabb too often throwing at guys' feet and accuracy, but didn't throw a lot of picks. So that kind of goes hand in hand. Listen, he wasn't as accurate as other guys, but he didn't turn the ball over very much in terms of of interceptions and you mentioned the touchdowns not only with his legs but also his arm guy had a strong arm in his prime and when he had a great receiver with Terrell Owens no surprise you the best regular season of his career yeah I, and I mean look he he isn't perfect none of them are I mean the reality of it is is nobody but I thought Andy Reid did a good job of designing the offense around what he could do and he highlighted his skill set and you know the problem with the Hall of Fame is we have a real difficult time between what's good and great Right. I think there's a really hard time between that. And there's some guys that are in the Hall of Fame that I didn't, you know, when I drive to the stadium on Sunday morning, I'm like, oh shit, I'm worried about that player. That's a Hall of Famer, right? Yeah. But when you're driving the stadium and you're like, okay, the guy, you know, he'll, he won't beat us. He'll be good, but he won't beat us. That isn't a Hall of Famer. I, I was worried about McNabb. I thought McNabb, like you said, could beat you with his feet. He had a big time arm. I mean, they were really good and he, he could make enough plays and the numbers don't lie. I mean, the guy's got 98 career wins. He's played 13 years. Now, look, it ended bad, which I think is part of the other issue, too. I think, you know, we our last memory is what propels us through. Hank Stram took forever to get into the Hall of Fame because the last memory of his disaster in New Orleans. And I think that has such an intoxicating mentality on all of us that we forget about it. Look, I'll call McNabb out anytime I want. I'm not an apologist for McNabb, but I think the guy's talent deserves to be, based on what other people are getting in, he deserves to get in. 
it's a great point you make, Mike, about the end because it's like he, you know Philadelphia's done with them. He goes to Washington, tries to prove they made a big mistake, and yet the word came out then his work ethic was lousy, horrendous. You asked Mike Shanahan, the guy basically mailed it in and just <laughs> did not memorize the playbooks, and I'm just going to ball. And it's like, listen, that's okay when you're 25. When you're 34, it's a different story. So I'm with you. That that always tarnishes a person's legacy. You go, oh, so he was really successful. Then he reaped the last two years really went south in a hurry. Yeah, and, and look, Washington was putting stuff on videotapes to see if he would watch the tape. He didn't watch the tape. I mean, those last years in Washington, you know, they're, they're on him. He has to own up to them. But the reality of it is, is what he did in Philly from 04 to 05. I mean, he went playoffs 2001, 2, 3, 4, 5, and then not. I mean, they're knocking on the door of the conference championship game. And that's how you measure your success is the conference championship game. No question. The bottom line is, kind of like as you mentioned, the Buffalo Bills, there's real achievement in making the AFC Championship games all those years and getting the Super Bowl four years in a row. That's why Marv Levy's enshrined. That's why you look at a guy like Jim Kelly or Andre Reid or Thurman Thomas, because it takes a lot. Listen, just because you don't win the big one, it shouldn't disparage the rest of the accomplishment to get there. And I get that, like you said, as fans, it's tough to overcome that. But in the case of the Eagles, consistently strong teams, and they were in the Super Bowl. No doubt. I mean, look, he just, you know, look, his work ethic killed him. But the reality of it is, is when he had a producer at his prime, he did. All right, moving on. The Raiders signing Richie Incognito <laughs> to a one-year deal. I mean, man, Mike, talk about the Raiders. This is, this is like your old Raiders. This is Al Davis Raiders, man. They want the bad boys, the big boys. They want bullies. The one guy's pushing guys around. There's no question Richie Incognito is talented. Everyone knows that he was at his apex, a guy who was excellent on the line. But now when you hear Richie Incognito, it's like a punchline. Everyone just thinks, oh, where's uh, Jonathan Martin and Stanford and all the bullying stuff? What do you make of a one-year deal for Incognito? I think it's pretty clear that we all know John Gruden's running this team. They, you know what's hilarious about the Raiders is they talk character in one breath and then they sign a guy like Incognito in the next breath. You know, I mean, let's face it. The offensive line coach, Tom Cable's a zone guy, right? He wants guys that can run and get out there. I'm sure Gruden signed him because we need some juice. We need some toughness, man. But the reality <laughs> of it is, is if this isn't the worst common, I mean, like this is a lab that they're just mixing shit. It's the three stooges in the lab, really. They're just mixing a bunch of different things the guy's available they've already cut Landry Jones I mean you know how long do you think we should bet Nathan Peterman's when he gets cut it like do you think he makes it to camp do you think Nathan Peterman makes it to camp do you th I think he gets think to camp then he gets cut in camp yeah, oh, I think there's no doubt. There'll be another quarterback, Gruden Science. I mean, he's already going through him. I mean, it's what I used to say about Gruden when I was with him. He hates the team. By the time every he gets to know the players, he wants a new team two weeks later. He, like, he always wants a new team. Right. There's a great story about Larry Brown, the, the old basketball coach. I compared Gruden to Larry Brown. I think Larry's a better coach than Gruden, but I think this story resonates. So Larry Brown's the coach in Denver. And Denver's going to merge into the ABA. And, and he's on Al Atlas to, all the time. I, I got to get George McGinnis. I got to get George McGinnis. I got to get, I need a big physical guy to play basketball. They wait three years. They finally trade George McGinnis. He's not on the team an hour. Larry Brown, about halfway through practices, walks back up to Al Atlas' office and says, You got to get rid of this fucking George McGinnis. He's a piece. I can't coach this guy. <laughs> that, that's Gruden. <laughs> Just can't help himself, right? He loves him, but then he'll hate you. He can't help himself. Like, why would you bring Incognito in? It's what Parcells used to talk about 
progress stoppers, right? If you've got some young players you want to develop and you sign incognito, you're basically stopping all progress. Right, because now is that because just veteran guy who's not going to be a good teacher, role model, past his prime, or what specifically do you mean in terms of him being a stopper? Well, he's got to get reps, right? So people don't realize the NFL is a mathematical problem. There's only so many reps. There's only so many players. When you start to overstack a position, you can't give them all reps. So how do you give this guy reps? Now, Incognito was going to, you know, he's not going to sit there on third team and run with the scout teams. He's not going to sit there and, and watch them Nathan Peterman take snaps and throw interceptions with the third unit, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, he's expecting to go in there and compete for a starting job. That doesn't mean you run third team. Like, I don't know how they can keep everybody happy. Like, Doug Martin's there. You talk about a conglomeration of characters. I mean, seriously, you can't put any more any more high octane into the fire. And then Gruden's like, we got to be like a rock and roll band. We got to be jamming by the third week. We got to figure out a way to get GM Shuffle on the road, Raiders camp, you and me, because you, nobody has connections like you. How good would that be? We're there at Raiders camp oh. giving observations. And then we could enjoy Napa. We should really do it as a tour. We could go to like different places in Napa for lunch, <laughs> like Taylor's refresher up there, yeah. have a milkshake, enjoy it. We don't have to go to wine country. We could just go to like the these little joints up there. We could make Guy Fieri sweat on diners, drivings, and dives. He would be in trouble if we got done up there. We're talking football. We're eating. That's exactly what this is going to be. Gym show. That's all we need yeah, to do. It'd be great. Yeah, the best breakfast place, the best lunch place. But this is unbelievable. Like, I don't know how Gruden, when he calls the team together, like, I don't know how the hell he's going to be able to handle everybody. I mean, he's got so many different personalities. And he's got – now, look, here's the thing. They're at six wins for the over-under. Wow. Like, if you got this many players on the team, you got to think they should be over six, right? Absolutely. I would have thought that at least a 500 team. God, if they got six wins, Gruden's going to be apoplectic. Oh, my God. He's going to fire – I mean, he'll fire everybody. I mean, Gruden <laughs> – Really, if Gruden was a farmer, by the time he laid the seeds in the field, the second week he'd be digging up the field. <laughs> Just don't happen fast enough here. Come on, I'm trying to make some corn here. Come on. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, like there's no seeds. I don't see any corn yet. We got we to gotta dig up the seeds. I mean, that's who he is. <laughs> it certainly is frustrating. Like you said, it's going to be a real adventure as far as the Raiders are concerned. Another team with an R, the Redskins. Can Dwayne Haskins, do you think, be a day one starter in D.C.? This is the plight of the Redskins. They had Kirk Cousins for years. Outkicked his coverage in many ways. I don't think he's going to get paid that much, but eventually he was so good he got taken care of. Now Haskins gets signed, and the Redskins are thrilled about it because, like, are you kidding? We didn't think he'd be available at this spot. How high does that optimism go, Mike? Does it go from Haskins fell in our lap because of the Giants' stupidity, and now can this guy get in right away? I'm, I'm always squeamish about day one starters because everyone just expects him to be Peyton Manning out of the gate. It doesn't work that way. And Peyton Manning was 1-15 out of the gate. Exactly. You know, and, so, and so, like, look, I, I think if the Redskins are six and a half on the over-under, and if Dwayne Haskins is competing for the starting job, that tells you all you need to know about Case Keenum, right? That tells you all they need to know. Like, they they don't think they can win with Case. That, that's what they tells you right there. They're going to go because, look, they got Haskins, and then, then Alex Smith, he's still in a boot. So Colt McCoy can't stay healthy. There's no chance. If this happens at six and a half, I'm all over the Redskins. I don't see how Haskins is going to be able to be a day one starter. Christ, he couldn't beat out two guys at Ohio State. You think he's going to walk in the NFL and start? Seriously. What's our over-under for the Redskins? Is that like seven? Six and a half. Six and a half. So, yeah, if Haskins is the star, then you take the under. Like you said, just rookie quarterbacks in general. How on earth do you expect this guy to all of a sudden lead them to the promised land out of the gate? And what does that say about Keenum, to your point? Yeah, I mean, like, how could you do that? Like, how can you feel like he's done that much in training camp? Plus, they've already had Reuben Foster. I mean, they've already had injuries. They're going to get more injuries. The offensive line's going to get beat up. Like, I think... 
what people don't realize, it's volume that kills rookie quarterbacks. It's volume that why people don't make Navy SEALs. It isn't because the drills are too hard to make the Navy SEALs. It's the volume. It's day after day after day after day doing the same shit over and over again. After 30 days, the volume wears you out. Not, you know, everybody can go through the thing and say, wow, that's impressive. It's the ones that have the, the ability to stay within the moment. There's no way Dwayne Haskins is going to be able to focus and concentrate for 16 weeks. He'll have a good game or too, but I don't see it. I, I mean, AD, I think it's going to be really hard for them. I And look, call me a Redskin hater all you want, but you know, the reason everybody, that's the amazing thing about Kirk Cousins. Think about this. Kirk Cousins is the mistake of Bruce Allen, but yet everybody's ripping Kirk Cousins for making all that money. Did you want him to say no to it? Did people want him to say, oh, no, no, I don't deserve your millions. Keep them, Bruce. Like, it's your own stupidity why he's making this much money. Like, seriously, I mean, he should declare Bruce Allen as a deduction on his taxes because he's earned him all that money. I mean, if I get to deduct my kids, why can't he deduct him? <laughs> those that are closest to you, those that give you such benefits of riches. By the way, you mentioned Navy SEALs. I give you the Wright S. Thompson book, which is so good. Collection of short stories. The Tiger Woods story is so good. From a few years ago, Wright Thompson wrote about Tiger's fascination and obsession with Navy SEALs. Like He, he literally he ruptured his knee because of his love of Navy SEALs. In fact, he wanted to be one of those guys. You're right about the fact it takes a certain fanatic and obsessiveness to be a SEAL. And Tiger Woods, the greatest golfer ever lived, at one point wanted to be that guy. It's crazy. It's amazing. And, and what people think, oh, you know, everybody can do it for a day or two. Like, you know, Advil's a Navy SEAL's best friend, but what you need is amnesia. You need to forget what happened the day before and start all over every single day. Like they take Advil to, for the aches and pains, but the reality of it is, is it's, it's a marathon. It's really hard to stay in the moment. I mean, the other book, Never Give Up by David Coggins, which is about this guy who's a Navy SEAL. And he went through, he went through the training three times. And on his third time, because he got hurt twice before, they said, if you get hurt now, you can't come in. And he grinded his way through the third time and got there. I mean, it's really remarkable. Yeah, I have such admi admiration and have no desire to ever do anything like that. No, like no, me either. I know I, I can't even make I mean, I would have a hard time every time they eat, they had to run a mile there and run a mile back. But they're and they're wearing boots, but they used to get shin splints so bad that they had to cut off that a little bit. I mean, I wouldn't I would run the mile and be done for the day. Like, okay, that's it. I'm done. I'm <laughs> I clocked in my one mile. Let's get some pancakes. Yeah, We're good to but go. I still expect to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I want my three meals, even though I'm not gonna be jogging over here for three times. <laughs> With you, 100%. Uh, some other news here. This is Nick Foles is out of OTAs indefinitely for personal reasons. The team announcing Foles will not be at practice Tuesday due to personal reasons. Head coach Doug Marone did not elaborate, told reporters that thoughts and prayers are with Foles and his family. Not sure, Mike, if you have any clarity as to specifics here, but that sounds awfully serious. I hope Nick and his family are okay. Yeah, it does. It sounds like a family matter. I mean, this is serious, and you got to really, you know, you got to tell Nick Foles to do whatever he has to take, especially when it comes to family or its wife. I mean, I think that, you know, if you're Jacksonville, and this is severe. You better get yourself a backup quarterback. Gardner Minshew, the kid they drafted in the sixth round. I mean, right now they have Tanner Lee. They don't have anybody. Look, I'm not suggesting that, you know, Nick Foles can't play or any of that. I'm not. But I think that these things weigh on people's minds, and it affects them. Like, if I was in the general manager of the Detroit Lions, I would really make sure I had a a backup quarterback to Matthew Stafford because I don't know how he's going to be able to endure his wife's treatment and her recovery and focus on the Green Bay Packers in a week. Like, it's too hard. Like, there's distractions. And we as fans, just because we can block because the distractions aren't part of our daily life, we think it's easy for the players. It's really not. 
Yeah, absolutely. You're right. You oftentimes focus on statistics and stuff, but this isn't who these guys are. They are human beings. Hopefully Nick Foles' family are okay. We talked a lot, Mike, about the Jets last time. They requested to interview George Payton and Scott Fitterer, so interviews with Joe Douglas and Champ Kelly. The Jets have also requested to interview those two guys. This is a source telling NFL Network insider Ian Rappaport on Sunday. You've been so good about this Jets stuff. Obviously, you nailed the fact that McCagnon was in trouble prior to a lot of people thinking so. Hint, hint, Francesa. Any ideas where the Jets could be leaning here? Everybody tells me it's Joe Douglas. I mean, look, Joe Douglas said, well, he's going to have options. Well, Joe Douglas wants to leave Philly. I don't think Joe Douglas is really that comfortable in Philadelphia in this current setup. The Eagles are going really extensively. They hired Andrew Barry. They're going to go really into analytics. Now, I think they're going to do both. I think they're, they're going to do a lot of have an analytic department and have an old-school personnel department and see if they can bridge the two gaps. I don't think Joe Douglas is sitting there singing kumbaya every single day going in the office. Everybody tells me it's his job. I can't believe it's somebody else. I mean, George Payton turned him down once before. And look, this whole notion of, well, Gase has got to give the 53. I don't think Gase has any problem giving somebody the 53. I think it's it's an argument for the media more than it is an argument for a coach. The 53 is insignificant. It's the 45. If you tell me I got to dress this guy and he sucks, now you're really interfering with my life. But if you tell me, like I would tell a coach, hey, look, Pick whoever you want on the 53. Give me two players you want to cut. And if we can find a better player than that player, we'll bring them in. But this fight over 53 is is really a, a fight for really a piece of land that doesn't even isn't even worthwhile. It's like ridiculous. Like, why do it? So I think if Douglas has to get that to get out of his ego contract or the Eagles won't let him go, I can't see that being a problem. Right. He, of course, he's made his name as far as a VP of player personnel. And the Eagles are known to be very strong when it comes to scouting, player development, et cetera. So you're right. If he wants to spread his wings and be the guy, New York will be the place. On a sad note, legendary Green Bay Packers quarterback Bart Starr passing at the age of 85. It's interesting, Mike, when you go through the annals, you know, people love to discuss great quarterbacks, and especially in today's era. It always becomes, all right, Brady and Manning and Elway and Marino and Brett Favre and Drew Brees. But it's like, you know, along with those six guys, you have to remember everybody else. And it's like, you know, give, give me a little Johnny Unitas. Give me some Fran Tarkenton. Give me Terry Bradshaw. Give me Bart Starr. And certainly the numbers are different because today's game is so different from back then. But I remember reading David Marinus's book, When Pride Still Matter, that incredible biography of um, Vince Lombardi. And the stories about Starr and just how indispensable that guy was. The stories that stood to me, two, one is just toughness. Like you just, you picture these grizzled, tough guys playing football in the 60s, frozen tundra, et cetera, and his leadership ability. Like this was a guy who was willing to do whatever it took, was able to ride the Packers, and of course known for, you know, the running running the ball, but whatever they needed to keep past, Starr was there. And in terms of iconography, Mike, seriously, when you think about football, you got that famous picture of Bart Starr in the end zone. I was looking at it yesterday, and I said, God, what a great picture. To me, it just screams football seeing Bart Starr there. Yeah, and get over the one-yard line. What people don't realize, that was a third-down call. I mean, if they don't get that, they can't kick the field goal. They won't have enough time to line up to kick the field goal. Could you imagine what talk radio would have been like? <laughs> say Starr would have snuck it in there, and he wouldn't have got in, and then his foot knees on the one inch. Say we replayed it, and his knee went down before the ball got over, and then they couldn't kick it. Uh, he got sacked nine times in that game. I mean, that like, could you imagine talk radio? What was Lombardi thinking about having <laughs> Bart Starr sacked nine times? I mean, on a frozen tundra. Gil Brandt's going to get in the Hall of Fame. I think Gil Gil Brandt has one of the great stories of all time. Gil Brandt, the Cowboys are playing that day. And they're staying at one of those old motor lodges back in, you know, with Howard Johnson's and how Holiday Inn first started where the key, the door is to the outside. You don't go through the hotel anymore. 
And so when he wakes up and he gets his phone call in the morning and, and, the, and the operator says, good morning, welcome to Green Bay, Wisconsin. The high today will be minus 13 or something like that. And he has nothing on his feet other than his shoes. And there's no gear that he can give out. There's none of that. So he literally goes down and bribes the bus driver to give him his boots. He pays $20 for the bus driver's boots so he can wear those boots on the sideline or else he's going to have frostbite. I mean, it's really remarkable. Some of the stories back in the day, I went back to Green Bay back in, I want to say, 87, and I wanted to do the Lombardi Day. I wanted to go to the church. I wanted to go to sneakers. I wanted to go to and do all that. So I knock on the lady's door in Wisconsin where he lived. I mean, I don't knock on the door. I'm like looking around the property where he lived in this ranch house, you know, because with pride still mattered, it describes all those parties in the basement. And, and the lady just lets me in and gives me a tour of the house and shows me here's where the basement, she has a giant picture of Vince in, in, her, in her house. I mean, it's really incredible. It's a magical time. And Starr was really a magical player, considering that, you know, he's what, drafted in the 16th round, can't play there before Lombardi gets there. I mean, the fascinating thing about it, I'm just looking at the stats. The year Lombardi left, he threw nine touchdown passes and 17 interceptions. That was when Lombardi was the GM of the team. You know, it's, you got to think, oh, my God, did he, who missed who, right? You know, and, and in the playoff run in 67, when they won their last, he had four touchdowns, one interception. I mean, the guy in the playoffs had 15 touchdowns and only three interceptions. Think about that. Uh, you mentioned the book. I honestly, one of the things, it's weird the stuff you remember. Lombardi, they talked about the fact he was always dismissive of his wife. And like the friends and family would refer to her as shut up Marie because that's the way Lombardi <laughs> was always talking about her. It's, it's terrible. That stands out to me. Shut up Marie. Just shut up Marie. Because just picture of the dinner table. Shut up Marie. Terrible. Could you imagine that today? I mean, could you really seriously imagine? I mean, it would be unbelievable. But those players with the reverence that they had about that whole team is really remarkable. And I, and I mean, look, it goes back to the quarterback. I mean, he humbly willed them to win. I mean, I think the one word that I think of Bart Starr is humble. I think he was a great player with incredible humbleness in his play. Yeah, that's a great call. Certainly rest in peace to Bart Starr passing away at the age of 85. One more NFL talk before we get to over-under in the AFC South. Plus, Michael give us his breakout fantasy tight ends. But a boy named Sue, with a nod to Johnny Cash, and Dominican Sue landing with Tampa Bay. So the Bucks find the replacement Gerald McCoy. Interesting when you think about Dominican Sue. A guy was an absolute beast of the Lions, a real defensive wrecker. But, of course, always had the perception of being dirty for good reason. Stepping on guys and the Sue stop, the rest of it. Gets a massive contract. That felt bloated from the beginning, and now he's in Tampa. In some ways, I think, trying to redeem himself. What do you think of the move here for the Bucs? Uh, you know, that's an interesting place. I mean, because when he was in Florida, I thought the heat and humidity got to him. I thought he wore himself down down there, you know, because he would have moments where you would say, oh, shit, this guy's un unbelievable. You go down to Florida, if you're not in great shape, you're going to wilt in a hurry. I don't think he's the same Sue. I thought last year the Rams – I think if the Rams felt like he was the Sue of old, they would have thought they could have dominated, with, especially with Aaron Donald and him inside. There was moments in flat – I thought he played better in the playoff game, but I think early in the season he didn't. I think this is Tampa being exactly who Tampa is, whisking, hoping for a prayer, and trying to piece together nine wins and hoping they can save it. This is not a long-term solution. But look, Gerald McCoy's making the rounds. He's in Baltimore. Cleveland wants to sign him. I think somebody's going to get disappointed with Gerald McCoy because I think he'll start off good in September. But what Parcells used to talk about these guys, they're called progress stoppers. They stop progress from happening because if you do, if they, can, if they can play good a little bit, then they can't play great down the end. Right. Just like Richie Incognito, as you were saying earlier, progress right. stoppers. Like Richie, like how much gas is, say you need Richie to play well 
in November and December. How much gas do you think he's going to have left in his tank at 36 years old? Do you think Gruden's making any thought process to his team where it's going to be in November? Of course he's not. He's only thinking about today. That's what what I call, that's only situational values. So there's two kind of organizations in the NFL. There's sustainable values, meaning you look at your team and think, how can this sustain itself? And then there's situational, which is all based on the situation. And Gruden clearly defines situations. That was That came about when we were giving mortgages to those people in California that, that were working on farms and they were buying a million and a half dollar houses and we wonder why the mortgage bank in crisis, that's exactly it. Yeah. All right, let's segue over to the AFC South. Over under via ESPN in terms of the Super Bowl odds here. We'll go through each of these teams. So the, the class of the division is the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, odds win the AFC are at 5-1. to one, And the wins over under, they got them at 9.5. 10-1 odds, by the way, to win the Super Bowl. Over under 9.5, Mike, are you going over or under? That's a tough one. I, I mean, you got to think if they're a good team, they're going to win 10 games, right? I mean, you got to feel like they're going to win 10 games. And I'm not sure I'd like Tennessee's team, and I don't like Jacksonville's team with or without Nick Foles. So I would tend to lean on the over here. I think it could easily be a 9 win, nine and 7, but I do think they'll get to 10 wins. I would go over here. I like the Colts team. I think the fact they play in a dome makes a huge difference because here's how the fans have to look at it. If you're a dome team, you got to be seven and one at home. That's you got to be seven and one at home, and then that means all I got to do is be three and five on the road. I think they can do that. A great bounce back here for Luck as well. Finally looked healthy, rejuvenated, better offensive line, so that's a big part of the Colts' success as well. And, and better receivers. I think they'll be better at receivers. I think they'll get you know they draft a kid. They got they got some more juice on offense. I think Frank Wright in his second year. I agree. I and I think they'll be better on defense as well. All right, so we'll take the over on the Colts Texans. Uh, thirty and one to win the Super Bowl, fifteen and one to win the AFC. Over under eight and a half. Are they a five hundred team? Or are they a nine and seven team? I like this one as a nine and seven team. I don't see how you take a step back. I mean, with Will Fuller on the team, they're a different offense. So they get Will Fuller on the team. If they get every foreman in shape, they could have a legitimate one-two combination at running back. The offensive line cannot get any worse than it was last year. Defensively, I think they'll still be question marks, but I, I like this team to win over eight, eight and a half games. I think this team's a nine-win team. Even If it's a nine-win team, they still might not make the playoffs. I think that eight and a half's a little low here. I, I wonder why it's so low. I think Watson will have a better season. I think with Will Fuller back, I think this will be a better team this year than they were last year. All right, so the Texans over 500. Nick is knocking the plant potentially. Jacksonville, here's where it gets tricky. Just said, what happens with Nick Foles? How much of an impact can he make? Can the Saxonville moniker go back to that defense from two years ago, despite the regression from a year ago, Jalen Ramsey, et cetera? Over under here is at eight. So are they a 500 team or are they sub 500? I think they're a seven and nine, six and ten team. I think they have too many issues in their locker room. I think that the defensive t- lineman, uh, the the kid, I can't pronounce his name from Maryland, so I won't destroy it. And you know they got Ramsey's problem. They got a bunch of shit going on in their locker room that I don't really like it. And I don't know who they're going to be on offense. I mean, Fournette isn't exactly the kind of back you want behind Nick Foles. You know, you need to have a guy that can be a loose play back. I don't like Jacksonville's makeup. I really don't. I, I, I see them as a seven and nine. I think that'd be hard for them to get to eight wins. Yeah, right. Fournette is power back, right? Just needs the ball, get out of the way. Bell Calic, he's not shifty. He's not like a LaShawn McCoy or a Charlie Gardner. Right. Or and they need to be in spread. You know, they need to be in spread. I mean, that's one. Look, when the Eagles were going with a Jai in the backfield and right. Foles, they were in spread. I mean, I don't see Fournette being that much of a disruptor, especially in the passing game where he doesn't really bring anything to the table. Yeah, he, he is definitely one dimensional. And lastly, the Titans. 
over under eight. This feels like Marcus Mariota's making or break it here. Either this guy is a, is a player who's going to be a quarterback to be able to run. You go, hey, man, it's been enough years now. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. Yeah, but they got Tannehill now. So, you know, it's the perfect. So now they feel like they've got themselves covered. How good are they on defense? I don't know. I love Jeffrey Simmons, the kid they drafted. To me, I think eight is the perfect number. I don't see them going over eight. I, I think they're a 500 team. I do. I just don't I don't like their talent level of their team. Now, they think they can win 12 games. I don't see it. I don't see how they can. I think the schedule, you know, prohibits them from ever cuz I mean, look, they're not going to they're not going to sweep Indianapolis and they're not going to sweep Houston. It's going to be hard for them to do that. I just don't see how they can possibly think that they can win and then when they go through their schedule, you know, they got to go to Jacksonville, they've got to go to Denver, they have to go to Carolina. I mean, that those are hard places to play. They go to Atlanta. They play Kansas City at home. But still, that's an opening day game, Kansas City at home. I think that'll be a challenging game for them to play. And when you look at it, I mean, they have five games to start the season. Three of them are away, which is really their advantage, which should be the heat and humidity. And they've got to be on the road for three of them. All right, so that's something to look at when it comes to AFC South Division. As you mentioned, a little bit of a different story now with regards to those teams. The Colts still feel like the class of the division. See what happens with the Titans. A fantasy breakout tight ends. This is uh, Mike's with help and everybody out there looking at their fantasy teams and trying to find a guy who's really going to have a big year. I love your call, Zach Hurts of the Eagles. Guy was a machine last year, racking up all those catches. I mean, record-breaking yeah. in terms of receptions. I think you have to take away the player and just focus on the offense. Like, you know the Eagles are going to get the ball to Hurts. Because what we're dealing with is these guys are really big receivers. So Ertz, Kelsey, those guys, you know they're going to have the same numbers that they've always had. But I think what you have to do is go back. So somebody, if Kyle Rudolph gets traded, which I think he will get traded probably this week or next, if he gets traded, then I think Irv Smith's going to have a lot of catches there. I think if you go to Denver and look at Noah Font, I think he's going to have a lot of catches there because the ball's got to go to him because those two offenses are going to be tight end based. When you look at the other guys, like, okay, who's going to replace Gronk? Nobody. Even Ben Watson, he's suspended for four games. He's not taking Gronk's catches. They're going to be who the guy there is Harry. You take him because all the plays that are going to go to him might be the guy to be effective. So I think it's all offense based when you look at these tight ends. I just don't see, you know, the Gronk leaves, somebody else is taking his catches. That ain't going to be the fact. That's not going to be the case. Like you said, Travis Kelsey with the Chiefs, Zachers to the Eagles, no brainers as those guys are receivers. A guy with a huge George Kittle of the 49ers, massive year a season ago, right? Right. And, and, and my Kyle's going to throw the ball to tight end. I mean, you could you could put a Coke machine at tight end, and Kyle's <laughs> going to throw him ten passes, right? Yeah. I it's mean, just, so it's Kyle Shanahan. It's all those guys that run that style of offense that I think is going to have a big year. You know, and, and if Cincinnati could ever get a tight end to stay healthy, you know, I I think Cincinnati with with the Rams style of offense, I think C.J. Oshima. I mean, I mean, I think that guy could have a. I don't think he's going to have great numbers. I don't think Drew Sample's going to have a, have the numbers, but I do think in their offense they would. Like I like Jordan Reed at Washington, but the guy's always hurt. Like the guy's always hurt. You can't count on him. You need somebody you can count on. Other three guys you like: Hunter Henry of the Chargers, Jared Cook with the Raiders, and Eric Ebron of the Colts. I love Jared Cook. I think it's the perfect setup. I think Jared Cook will catch 80 passes this year. I really wow. do. I think with Drew Brees, he's becomes Mark, a combination of Marquise Colston. I don't know how the Raiders sign everybody, but when you watch their tape last year, their best player was Jared Cook. I mean, Jared Cook did everything for him. And Brees is already talking about how much he likes him, and Sean Payton's going to be in a situation to get him the football. I, I think he's a great play there. 
And Ebron with the Colts, again, like you said, with that offense, Luck will get him the ball. Henry of the Chargers, again, Phillip Rivers, feels like that's a guy he's going to be successful with. So there's your breakout tight ends. Uh, last topic for this time on GM Shuffle, top five sports movies. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter all the time. M. Lombardio is a great follow. I'm at Adnan S. Verk. And I retweeted Mike. I think it was from The New Yorker. It was top 50 sports movies of all time. It was Vulture, wasn't it? Yeah, wasn't Vulture. Vul- that's right. I mean, I read the whole thing. I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, I, I like the fact, listen, we know all this. People just get angry about it and get pissed off. How'd you miss this? How could that have been? The whole point has been, generally you say, oh, I love those movies, and that's when I hadn't heard of, and that's when, hey, I forgot how good that was. That That's when I look at a list. I, my memory gets jogged by, hey, that's a really special film, rather than you ignore this one. So my lambasting to get out of the way immediately is no North Dallas 40, which, I mean, credulous how that doesn't get in the top 50. It's a great sport film, uh, great football film specifically. Nolte's so good in that. Role. And you know this. You talk to football people, they'll go, man, North Dallas 40, that iconic film, movie. right? That was an iconic film. But as far as the ones that I love to see, I, I obviously I love Raging Bull. I mean, forget about sports movies. That's one of the greatest films of all time. They right. had that at number two. Mil, uh, Million Dollar Baby was 11th. I would have liked that at number 10. I love the inclusion of Hoop Dreams, which is an incredible basketball documentary. It came out in 1994. Very famously, the Oscars snubbed it and uh, obviously should have won Steve James' documentary. But those are films that stood out. People were getting upset. They said, how can Major League is only 32nd? Uh, how is Dodgeball in the top 15? There was definitely some of picks that were getting people annoyed. Is there a few that stood out to you, Mike, that you were a little bit rankled by? I tried to watch Foxcatcher. I couldn't get into it. Did you watch it? I did. That, that was You're right. That was a high pick. They had it at number five. It's creepy and unsettling, but it isn't particularly invigorating, and it's a tough watch. I, I, think, I, I thought it was a hard watch. I yeah. thought Hoosiers was too low. I thought Hoosiers would have gotten more play. You know, but I, I can only – the only movie that I can – I was at Valley Forge Military Academy, shameless plug, and – because you're at a military academy, you only had like one afternoon off. So we would always take the Paoli local from Wayne, Pennsylvania, in the suburban station, change out of our uniforms, get civilian clothes on, go upstairs and try to find a bar that would serve underage kids, you know, and then get smashed and take the train back. But one time we went to see this movie, Rocky. Nobody knew what the hell it was. Right in Rittenhouse Square in Philadelphia. It was the only movie I've ever been to that people got up and applauded. Like, I don't know how, I mean, it it ended up being the third best sports movie, but I don't know how any movie could top that one. Because it wasn't cliche as Rocky didn't beat the champ. Yeah, I'm about to say, that's the best part of it. You know, for those who haven't seen Rocky, they, they roll their eyes like, oh, Rocky, he doesn't win, right? Like, you, you are aware he does lose. Like, that's right. Like, the, the sequels, that's different. Fine. You can say it's cliche and formulaic, but the original, it's impossible not to root for the guy. He's just this palooka from Philly who's punching giant uh, steaks and ribs of beef. Uh, he falls in love with Talia Shire, and he doesn't win. <laughs> yeah. How can you not love this guy? I mean, that was the best part. I mean, I love the fact that Bull Dorham was fourth. I'd love Bull Dorham. I could. I I mean, like if Bull Durham's on, I'm not changing it. Like I love his whole. I love Kevin Costner's whole dissertation about how he doesn't think Louis Harvey Oswald acted alone. I mean, that kind of captivated me right in there. They had me completely right there. I interviewed Ron Shelton, who of course uh, played minor league baseball, wrote and directed Bull Durham. And I said, "Can you still do the speech?" He said, "Yeah, of course I did." And right away, just he was able to rhyme it off. You know, the whole speech, as you mentioned, the way he gives to Susan Saran, I believe, a long, slow, wet kisses that last for three <laughs> days, outlawing the designated hitter. <laughs> the novels of Susan Sondheim so are, are self-indulgent, overrated crap. It's such a funny speech. And again, to your point about um, you know veracity, you talk to baseball people, as I do, and baseball players, they love Bull Durham because they've all ridden buses. They've all had situations where guys like Meat, who throw 100, and Nuke Lelouch, who can't control himself, like, yeah, that's minor league baseball. That They nailed the authenticity of it. 
I thought that was. What's your number one sports I, I would movie? say Raging Bull, just because, like I yeah, said, I that, I don't that think shows you can beat that. Yeah, that just shows that just the real, the rawness of it, right? The fact that Scorsese said we're going to be completely unvarnished and completely authentic. And Jake LaMotta is such an unlikable person, and yet you root for him because you say, right. God, he, right? That, that's the crazy thing. You watch the film and you go, he's abusive, he's difficult, he's angry, he's an animal. And yet by the end, he's partially redeemed. And like when he hugs Joe Pesci, his brother, you say, all right, you know what? There's a glimmer of humanity within this guy. I don't know how Scorsese and De Niro do that, but that's the magic of that movie. I think it proves the Neil Simon point that we've talked about before. If you don't make the characters interesting enough in Act 1, people will never want to see them in Act 3. But when the characters are interesting enough in Act 1, no matter how bad they are, Seinfeld, no matter how bad they are, Sopranos, we all want to see where they go in Act 3. Simon said he had the hardest time writing plays because he never made the characters interesting enough in Act 1. I think we should utilize that to pick our friends for the rest of our lives. Like, are you interesting enough in Act 1 that I want to be your friend in Act 3? I think that's the way, and I think that's why Raging Bull was so good. He's an asshole, but he's an interesting asshole. And we'll root for interesting assholes. Yeah, especially at the end. Like, you think about the different levels that speech he's giving in the mirror. So it's it's Robert De Niro, an actor, playing a boxer, Jake LaMotta, doing a speech by Marlon Brando, an actor, playing a boxer, Terry Malloy, and on the waterfront. Like, that. that's mind-blown to me. So good. So good. That's so good. Uh, I may have to watch that again tonight. Oh, I'm telling you, man. It's the best. You, you will not be disappointed by Raging Bull. All right. For Michael Lombardi, I'm Adnan Burke. Thanks so much for listening to GM Shuffle. As always, subscribe, rate, review. Tell all your friends all about us. We'll be back next time. Thanks so much for listening.